This season of Down to Brown was brought to you by Brooklyn Deli. Brooklyn Deli is a South Asian woman-owned business that makes incredible condiments and sauces from our South Asian heritage. You can find ketchup, mustard, achars, and sauces to make your own curries. I can't recommend them enough. For 10% off, enter the code LAHARI10 at checkout. Hello there, Down to Brown family. I am so, so grateful to be here with you today. Just like an email from your coworkers, I hope this episode finds you well. I actually never understood that opener, but hey, it's a cliche for a reason. I'm just going to come out and say it. I've also described it in my last episode and if you follow me on Instagram, but I have some news that this is the last episode of Down to Brown. I go into some of the reasoning in my last episode prior. How many times can I say last episode? But I chose this specific topic as our penultimate episode and allow me to explain. So if you remember in October of 2020, I launched Down to Brown. It's all because of that character Kamala on Never Have I Ever, who was on the podcast, actually, the actress, Richa Murjani, in 2021. Richa was actually my UC Davis Bollywood captain for a dance that I did and then had to drop out later because Bollywood literally gave me a slip disc in my back. But that's another story and it dated me very quickly at the age of 18. Back then, I remember her saying that she wanted to be an actress. This was back in 2008. So you can imagine at that time, this was not a popular career path for South Asians especially. Fast forward to 2020, I'm sitting in my living room and because it was a pandemic, I was drinking a bottle of wine well before 4 p.m., but let's pretend it was 4 p.m. and watching Never Have I Ever for the first time. You know, it was this anticipation around Mindy Kaling's new show. I was shocked when I saw the first scene with Richa appear. Here was a woman who I remembered said what she was going to do something where typically people who look like us are not represented. And she fucking did it. And remember the date I told you, that was back in 2008. That means this woman worked her ass off for almost 10 years before she saw the, quote, popularity that people equate to success, though success should be doing what you love. And when I interviewed her, she said, fame isn't what she necessarily aimed for. She just knew she loved acting and there was no other way. And so she really did put in the work. I realized if I had done something for 10 years, instead of being afraid of not succeeding, where would I be? What would happen if I worked hard on something without the guarantee of anything? Even recently, the founder of Women Who Code, Reshma Sajani, and she is someone who has gone viral recently for some of her talks that she's done around women needing to be brave, not perfect. This is definitely something that resonated with me because I felt trapped to it myself. I knew I'd always wanted to do something media related and I have way too many feelings, questions, and energy that I wanted to channel in the form of a dialogue or some kind of art form. And I was sensing a desire to also simultaneously dive into my South Asian-ness. So that was the energy behind Down to Brown. But the idea came from an incredible heartfelt talk with my friend Shruti Bharat in 2017, who's also been a guest here. She was the first person to introduce me to the concept of intergenerational trauma. 
we were talking about it specifically around the context of auntie culture, sometimes encouraging us to get married when they themselves maybe didn't think about whether they liked it to begin with and why we want to replicate these sort of patterns for ourselves. You know, when you first meet the concept of intergenerational trauma, I know this is now used and more familiar at this point, but back then it blew my mind, y'all. Since then, I knew I wanted to unpack more about the South Asian experience. So this combination begot down to brown. But one thing I was clear about always was this. My intention was to understand our identities so that we could live authentic, more caring, and compassionate lives in the U.S., whether it was for ourselves or for others. Initially in the podcast, I talked a lot about some of the more, quote, obvious topics we associate with the South Asian woman reckoning, our denial of fob culture and just the disaster that it is to have fob jokes, beauty standards and colorism. These are all important. My goal was to unpack what's in our culture to understand where we stand. We're in the broader experience of women of color in America. But let's face it, I had my dad's tough critic in the back of my head the whole time I was doing the podcast the first year. I wanted to be better. One of the things I found that I needed to improve was not just to describe and report on something broadly, but to really go into why it was interesting. What's the tension point? Why should we care? How is it conflicting with other information? How can two realities coexist at the same time? For example, when we talked to Lisa Matam, founder of Sahajan, I wanted to talk about Ayurveda and her beauty products as one of the first of its kind in the mainstream American beauty space. But also, how are we using it responsibly? How are we appropriating it? Even as South Asians, can we appropriate Ayurveda, for example? That makes a more compelling conversation, one that gives people a choice to decide where they stand. I hope this, if anything else in all my conversations, I delivered on my promise that I won't tell anyone what to do or think, but I want to present a fair perspective to see how you feel about what's being discussed. Ultimately, you don't need to always agree with me, but I hope you found the conversations intriguing enough and we're entitled to our own opinion after all. I have been so humbled by the brown women and men and those who don't identify as South Asian who have been champions of this podcast and me. I am someone who loves to offer help, but struggles to take it. When anyone shows me kindness, I feel like it's oh, like so generous. I'm not worthy. Why would they even want to help me? I think there are three people in my life that are not my parents or my husband that I let help me. <laughs> and I truly felt at times moved to smiles and tears by some of the discussions I've had, the responses I've received, the beauty of you all listening. Thank you for that. Call me Edward Cullen from Twilight because my existence is only because of you. After 60 episodes and almost 100 hours, I've learned so much about our community's journey from my guests. There's a deep desire to unpack and untie ourselves from intergenerational patterns that can curse us. As a community, we are owning our stories and finding pride in our daisiness. I said it before and I'll say it again. Trademark Lahari, we're in a daisy sans. Just since my first episode, we've watched representation of brown women increase in media, politics, business, etc. Most importantly, I admire some of the people who have taught me that love includes love for yourself, even if that means boundaries and decisions that don't make you popular or make you seem selfish. I want to give a special shout out to some of the people who taught me this lesson that I met for the first time through Down to Brown. 
Cast Jerome, Mithali Dargani, Natasha Kwaja, Priya Sani, Shanahi Shah, Sahil, Sonali Rashathwar, and Coco Shah. They actually weren't on the podcast, but they taught me so much on my Instagram. Don't get me wrong. I am proud of and believe in every single episode out there on Spotify and Breakfast Avenue Radio, but these people really changed my life and how I examined my own beliefs about myself, especially from sometimes a person who really can relate to your experience. Because of this, I never flattered myself that I'm the center of Down to Brown. I'm a facilitator at best. And the most integral part of this has been the conversation it's elicited from listeners. For that reason, if you ask me what's next, it's that I'd like to maintain this community of people interested in what Down to Brown stood for and to create an online community of some kind where we incorporate Down to Brown circles. I've named it Down to Brown Cafe, and there's more details coming on it soon. I also plan to channel my conversational passion to something different, maybe a different project on YouTube, which again, coming soon. In today's episode, I speak to Nirmitha Iyengar, who goes by Meethi as well. An early down to round gal who has been an incredibly supportive, sweet, and kind soul to talk to. Only when I released the episode about Janani Ramachandran and South Asians getting involved more politically, though, did she open up about her own experience with being active in local politics and the harrowing experience that pushed her to do so. When I asked if she was open to sharing her story, she said yes. It's really an honor to be able to share this space with her as she talks about her experience. I know it seems heavy to end my podcast entirely, our finale, with gun violence, but there's a reason why I chose this. Meethi and her story represents something bigger to me. Gun violence is something, a topic often, we don't see South Asians largely a part of fighting against. Maybe we think it doesn't affect us, and maybe we think it's too dangerous to fuck with. But what I appreciate is that Meethi reminds us that it affects us all. Not just women, not just people of color, everyone in the U.S. Gun violence, domestic abuse, racism, misogyny, representation, etc. This shouldn't just be women of color problems. It's people of color and, frankly, everyone in this country problems. My hope with Down to Brown was that by healing ourselves, it allows us to have the capacity and perspective to interact with people of color with solidarity and white people from a place of security. It's the classic oxygen mask analogy. Put it on yourself, then help the person next to you. And I'm not saying, voila, down to brown is done. We have fixed it, guys. We did it, Joe. But by understanding and being at peace with ourselves, we can interact with the world with strength, confidence, and compassion. Our community is just so capable, simply put. Yeah, there's some toxic shit in our culture that we're attempting to interrupt. We're pushing to do so. And there is even more beauty and magic that we can continue to leverage to contribute to the broader American experience that we participate in. This all leads me finally to Meethi. On a Saturday night, Meethi was shot in a prime Los Angeles location during a mugging incident. She is sharing her story with deep trust that as listeners will respect her experience. And I promised her that. Her intention is genuine. She wants people to know that gun violence isn't an issue that excludes South Asians and therefore... We need to be a part of the solution for it. This is essentially what Down to Brown stands for. It's not just about the obvious topics that we talk about in the South Asian community that affect us. It's also about the ones that don't seem as obvious, but are always lurking around in our experience as Americans. 
Mithi isn't wrong. In 2022, a man targeted and killed a Sikh man in broad daylight in Ozone Park in Queens, New York. And another man experienced this in Maryland. This is one example of several that shook our community last year. So with the sorrow, rage, and frustration over the matter, how do you hope to channel your energy? How do we hope to help? Because as I've, we've kind of amply covered in this, our activism helps everyone. And in fact, look to my Instagram to see more resources on organizations to get involved with, including and not limited to Every Town for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action. Also, Soar and Sakhi are both South Asian started and talk about gun safety in connection to gender violence, something that we can agree on is a huge problem in our community. Either way, if you're helping one, you're helping the damn cause. Now, help me cheer Meethi on for being the most fucking brave woman I know, sharing such a traumatic, harrowing event a human can go through. Hi, Meethi. Thank you so much for joining. Hi, Lahari. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is the best kind of way that we made a connection. I really appreciate that you've listened to the podcast and we've been, you know, DMing back and forth for, I think, like at least a year now. And I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, It really is a testament to how we built a community through Down to Brown. So thank you. No, thank you for creating this platform. Uh, I'm kind of sad (laughs) the last episode, but I'm also looking forward to what you have next going on. I'm excited. Thank you. I know it's very bittersweet, but it's truly an honor to be talking to you on my last episode. And so just to ground us, I'd love to ask, how are you feeling in this moment right now? Yeah, I feel it's about time as a gun violence survivor who's ready to share, um, you know, uh, to my community and everybody around America. uh, None of us are like immune to gun Mm -hmm. violence. Um, especially in America, when it is in your face, you have it, when you turn on the radio, um, you know, we are in it. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, so many uh, of our people take pride in being associated with guns. And uh, it is, I mean, the Second Amendment, you can't deny it. Yeah, And it's so evident that you can't turn a blind, blind eye. It is right there. So Absolutely. right now, I feel like Maxine Waters. Uh, <laughs> I am here. Damn to reclaim, right. I'm here to reclaim my voice and my time and spread awareness about this issue. I'm so glad to hear. And that's exactly <laughs> what I hope we achieve today. What do you hope that people will take away from this conversation? I hope we get more volunteers. I hope more people get like just simple things like signing a petition. Mm-hmm. You will find that popping up on your social media, on your, uh, you know, uh, chats. If you are a member of uh, the Democratic Party or, uh, you know, every town for uh, gun reform or any of those causes they'll constantly keep in touch with you and remind you this is what's happening yesterday i saw one of my facebook contacts he posted there was another school shooting in mm. his hometown and uh, it was just there was not much details about it 
even in the news but it happened you know where's so, the hometown i don't know somewhere in texas that's yeah. i, I want to like look it up now but yeah. um the fact that it's not even a big headline anymore is actually very terrifying because that it means is. that we're getting acclimated to it very much it's just you know i hope i i really really hope um the statistics like just look at uh, just do a little bit of you know digging around you'll see um 100 people die every day mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. even an exaggeration it's just so scary and uh, you feel is it's you know, you feel helpless at times but you feel like you have to fight Absolutely. your fight you have to make others uh, you know aware you yeah. have to share your story uh, for the longest time i have not felt comfortable because of many other many reasons uh, you know so it's just like now i think more and more because i have two kids in schools in public elementary schools i just want to you know not uh, become like a story which never got put out or never yeah. was heard um so i i like to you know talk about it Absolutely. I think that's so important to take back control of your own story. Mm -hmm. We will talk about it later, but I remember you alluding to the fact that when it was reported what happened to you, it was not even in your control. You weren't aware. You're just a spectator. And so I can't imagine how disempowering that can feel in that moment, especially when you're processing it yourself. Um, and so again, I'm just really grateful for your awareness around this because to your point, like, I mean, I know the statistics are even more so for just general shootings, but even yesterday I was reading that every 16 hours, someone is a victim of road rage gun violence. And that's something that, you know, even personally, sometimes like I've been, you know, in interactions where men are really assholes. Let me just put it that way on the road. And I just take it, even though I tend to have a fighter, you know, kind of personality because, I just don't want to risk or escalate the situation ever further. Right. And I think yeah. a lot of us have this fear now when we enter big venues, when we go, we send our children to school, et cetera, where we have this fear. And so I can't thank you enough again for spending the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do this. And I feel, uh, you know, positive about choosing your podcast as my story as my platform to tell my story. I'm really grateful. Fast forwarding back, you know, before even like you're a full person, Meethi, with all these nuances and your own life. So I'm curious, we go all the way back. How were you raised? What was your experience like? You said that you had grown up in India. So what was that like growing up? Well, I grew up, uh, I was raised by a single mom uh, who was um, uber progressive for her times way ahead of our times. I have a younger brother who's four years younger to me. He still lives in India. Um, she had to fight a lot of uh, issues by created by the society because she didn't agree with so many of those. And uh, she took, she made herself stronger. Um, I, I can tell you stories about like, uh, you, you know, now we can, uh, think oh it's called child abuse you know she was in an abusive relationship 
um and we dealt with it but she kind of kept us um away from uh, mm-hmm. you know she we had a lot of support from um, my uncles and my aunts um i'm sorry you know, were you the, you were the victim or the your mom, mom was my mom was a victim of domestic violence and mm-hmm. i was you could say that me and my brother were uh, you know right there so it can be translated yes. as child yes. abuse i i i grew up um, i had a good childhood um mean yeah abusive at times all things but... considering yeah all, all things I mean are, were you aware when that was happening like this is what it is you know when we're kids we don't really understand what's happening sometimes we think it's normal so looking back like how do you feel like you experienced that as a child you know my mother she was like so um curious about the world and everything she had um, my grandparent house uh, they had rented it uh, to um, Iranian people. Mm-hmm. We had Iranian immigrants living upstairs. And she had friends. She had made friends with them. And this uh, girl um, who became friends with my mom said, you know, uh, whenever I decide to have a child, uh, I before that, I would like to study child psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of, you know, who would think? Yeah, she, I am a late 70s, 80s kid. So she was the last one to get married out of eight brother, four brothers and four sisters, eight siblings. She was the only one in her family to get an education, get mm-hmm. a degree. She married when she was 21. She had me when she was 22. So that was the like, you know, that was considered old. And at my time also, I married, I was uh, around 28. That's Mm -hmm. like super old. Yeah. You know. um, According to some standards, it shouldn't be, but. South Indian standards. (laughs) Especially, I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it feels, uh, it feels kind of medieval, you know. Yeah. Even today we have the same conversations, right? So nothing has changed. Uh, so I was uh, successfully running a boutique uh, mm-hmm. after my undergrad. I chose to study costume design and textiles. Wow. Uh, because, uh, <laughs> and it's so funny, I was actually offered, so I was a sprinter. I ran all through high school and college. So when I applied for college, uh, I was given, offered a computer science uh, seat, free mm-hmm. seat under sports coda. <laughs> And I refused it. I said, no, uh, just give me. Miti, that's flabbergasting. How did you say no to computer science? <laughs> See, when I say unconventional, this is beyond yeah. unconventional. It's just like, yeah, right? It, nobody, I mean, even the the counselor who was talking to me were like, was like, what? Are you serious? Are you and okay? And I said, you want, I mean, I... I this is how I was raised and I had too many opinions and my mother thought <laughs> I was not fit for living in India. I was better off gone. Uh, so uh, when I said no and the counselor asked me why, uh, it has a really good future. You will have a good career. I said, I will totally suck at it. Yeah. And I don't want to put myself 
through this and according to my mother she always taught us to follow your dreams and do what you love i am mm. not going to be a good computer engineer so you know it's like in india it's like a doctor's son yes. or daughter has to be a doctor why it's just i always had this question why i mean you're one of many people who have that echo effect of like why but why because you're right i mean first of all i'm impressed with how progressive your mom was like she is so beyond her time um because a lot of the times we hear like even now to this day with people who are second generation they're hearing some of this messaging from their parents who have acclimated to this so-called progressive way of thinking in america right um so it's still a conversation taking place and i'm really blown away by how well you knew yourself because that is something that happens so um i don't think i've even mastered that ability to be really clear about like i know that even if i do this it's not going to be where my heart is so i'm not going to do a good job or like you know i'm doing you a favor you don't want me in your program right like it almost you were like i'm being honest here this isn't my forte exactly. uh, i'm not going to enjoy it so i'm really impressed with how you were able to call that yeah i i would have taken four more extra years to graduate <laughs> Hey, I'm sure you're selling yourself short because you did get into the program. Clearly they like, you know, saw, um and so then you said like computer science not the thing for me. So at that point was that close to the uh, kind of juncture where you decided US is probably my future? Uh I graduated and I was working as a full-time uh, costume designer mm-hmm. for uh, wow. a theater production company, a lot lot of companies, uh, groups uh, around Bangalore. in mm-hmm. and around bangalore so i worked um, i designed costumes for uh, big big productions uh, i did uh, tennessee williams summer and smoke shakespeare sartor wow. uh, and girish karnad who's also a tr- beautiful uh, playwright of india uh-huh. uh, we did a lot of i worked uh, for 5 years i was like full time designer and i worked with a very fabulous who is also i consider him my mentor um ms satyu who's um who's really old right now he's like 94 i don't know but he took me uh, took uh, me under him and guided me and i i was uh, doing all that and then in the meanwhile my mother had been talking to my aunt who lived here mm-hmm. in bronx uh, uh, my aunt who t- um had agreed to host me she was uh, willing to let me stay with her while i went to fit if i chose to go to nyc so but i unfortunately um everything was kind of settled you know i got my i20 and mm-hmm. you know um my student visa and everything i had applied uh, to london school of design chelsea arts uh, and fashion program um i had des- i had applied to a school in milan and two schools here so here being unfor- la uh, yeah uh, two schools in the us so mm-hmm. one in um, new york fit and fidm in la and my main focus was to be uh, with my aunt because yeah. he had uh, always been very supportive so but um unfortunately uh, she passed away 
Like she was diagnosed oh with gosh. liver cancer in December of 2003. She passed away in uh, February of 2004. Mithi, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it was so difficult and it was like it went so fast. We, I was kind of in like, you know, um, in a fix. I, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. you know and then i recalculated everything i talked to both my counselors in fit and fidm fit being in new york without i mean spending on housing as an international student and the fees was like extremely mm-hmm. <laughs> double and yeah. um fidm even though it's a private school they offered that depending on my uh you know performance they would um, consider a scholarship in my second year so yeah so and then I it so happened everything kind of aligned and I met drone my husband my partner Mm -hmm. online on a student international student oh my gosh how cool (laughs) so this is in 2000 move over tinder and hinge you're like no it's student housing (laughs) And then we had no connection. He came, uh, we started chatting in October of 2003. And then he was, uh, he had been here three years. He had been here since 2001, you know, and he was coming home and he had a, his best friend is from Bangalore. He came to meet me Mm -hmm. in Bangalore and uh, I had like, absolutely, I was just, um get me the information I need and <laughs> just buzz off. <laughs> Don't fuck around here. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, that was my uh, intention. And then um he came and he said, uh, do I speak Hindi? And I said, uh, if you want South Indian Hindi, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. And uh yeah, we speak Hindi, but my Hindi is still horrible. Uh, I, I'm a proper uh, Kanadiga, so mm-hmm. by heart. Uh, so yeah, I said if you can manage my broken Hindi, sure. No, <laughs> I I came here and then the chemistry worked. Uh, I lived with him for a month before I moved in with uh, two other roommates. Uh, I moved to Hollywood. I stayed there because everything near the campus was expensive for me. Yeah. So I took the bus. I hung around with all kinds of crazy people <laughs> going to and from uh, downtown to Hollywood. You yeah. Can imagine. It's all, it's not uh, as glitzy as shown in the media, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of realities to big cities like this that people overlook. Um, and also in sometimes ways where they stereotype, right? Like we've talked about how even when I would tell people like, oh, I live in Oakland, they're like, Oakland. Um, and you're like, truly like, please, like, like any other city, there are areas. But yeah, of course, like, there's also a reason why these problems exist. And so um, it's just very interesting how people stereotype it. But I'm loving this really interesting way that you met your husband, and it all brought you like, right, like you made this decision already independently, and to move to the US and to LA. And what an interesting journey to get there, first of all, but then also to then meet your husband through that way and living with him before. <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh, yeah, I have broken all hell. 
<laughs> broke loose, right? It's just, yeah, I have broken all kinds of barriers. And uh, yeah, we lived together for two years. I was like spending uh, my rent money, uh, living, sharing my space with two other roommates, uh, but spending most of my time with him. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you moving in? Or yeah. are we doing this? Like, yeah. what's the deal? <laughs> I want to get I on with the program. Style. I love that. Yeah. Don't so waste we, your time, babe. No, I'm not wasting my rent money. Yeah. You know, let's just move in together. That's so true. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you came for this program, FIDM, correct? Yeah. yeah Fashion um, Institute of Design and Merchandising. So how was your first day, especially as an international student? I can't imagine what that experience is like. It was, uh, I was so excited, Lahari, and I had flown for 20 hours. Oh I gosh. flew Singapore Airlines from Bangalore to LA is like a long, long mm-hmm. way. It's like literally around the world. So yeah, um, I came here. Um, I didn't have any jet lag. <laughs> I landed on, um, I started like kind of summer school. So uh, I landed July 2nd. And July 4th was <laughs> July 4th. Uh, um, and um, I celebrated Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And what a my time Independence to come. Day, <laughs> right? Uh, on Venice Beach. <laughs> awesome. So I went to school and I was just so, um, you know, in it. Like, I, I loved the experience. I loved meeting all these people from all over the world. Uh, who were in my class, who were on campus. And it was just such a a beautiful day. Mm. And to pass through downtown, and um, I picked my uh, best and my favorite building uh, in downtown, which will be forever, which is the Walt Disney Concert Hall. You have to pass it to get to our campus, which is on the same street on Mm -hmm. planned. Uh, yeah, and we go there, and I'm like in heaven, right? <laughs> I'm so ready to be part of, you know, a community um, fashion school in yeah. LA. Yeah, absolutely. Could anything have warned you for what you might have dealt with in LA? That's the next part, right? It's just, um, yeah, as an international student, I was just focused on learning and um, having a good uh time here and uh, we were called in for an orientation we were about uh, 13 or 14 of us international students and uh, mostly Asians uh, including uh, three or four Indian girls um, a lot of Korean people uh, mm-hmm. students yeah they we were all in there and they blatantly said hey, listen, you are in downtown LA. It's not considered the safest in LA. Mm -hmm. And um, after a certain time, like after six o'clock, it kind of gets deserted. So be ready, be cautious, always keep change on you uh, and don't resist, you know. Mm. They literally tell you this. Yeah, they have to tell you this. And if you're taking the bus, Try to walk with a friend, you know, be uh, aware 
don't just uh, have a conversation with strangers it's like yeah. they they tell you as if you're in elementary school literally so yeah i was going to say it's really strange to get that type of a warning at like as an adult Mm-hmm. you're you're embarking especially being new to a country you're like what is this country about them like why am I getting this orientation right like yeah no it it stays in you till you're in like school you're aware right okay yeah but I took the bus and and after a while it kind of fades away it goes away from your uh, psyche it's just like oh I'm fine I'll be fine you know um I took the bus I didn't have that fear of you know getting robbed or getting mugged or like getting attacked I didn't feel dangerous Mm -hmm. see that's the thing we need to understand we think oh um downtown it's a sketchy area skid row we have all the unhoused people there it might be dangerous but guess what the reality is I was shot in a very gentrified upscale neighborhood Mm. so that's your reality the irony of it yeah that's the irony of it and it's just like mind-blowing it's just like where do you connect these are you comfortable sharing what happened well yeah it was april of 2010 um we had just had dinner with two of our other friends who were actually leaving to go on a boat to antigua in the Caribbeans. So we, me and Drone uh, and our two friends who are a little older um, couple, uh, we were talking and uh, we shared, both of us were like so excited. That night, Lahari, we were going to go home and uh, book tickets to go to Europe to meet up with our friends. So we were talking about what we were planning and everything. And then we walk out um, it was one of my favorite restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, and it was so unusually dark and deserted that night. Mm-hmm. It was a Saturday night and you wouldn't think. Yeah. And we were in the parking lot saying our goodbyes and having a little chat, right? And it was April and it was a little, it got a little chilly. It was about 9, 9.20, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at night and then I told Drone, hey Drone, can you grab me my sweater it was in the back of my car and he went to get my sweater he comes back before he comes back we are approached by this guy who came out of nowhere I think he was like looking for mm-hmm. somebody you know um, less aggressive or like somebody whom mm-hmm. he can uh, mug you know so get something out of so he attacked I mean he got to my friend's purse first and he started tugging on it and she kind of resisted uh, and I had like a sling bag you know a canvas sling bag um, and he came to mine and I literally gave it to him yeah like I took it out it was a kind of a uh roundabout way right I took it out as quickly as I could and I gave it to him and then there was like a shuffle there was like an altercation because um, our friend uh, he had 
he was kind of trying to push him away mm-hmm. um and, and did he simply reach out to you and immediately attack you did you guys engage before yeah he walked to us towards us we were just three of us at that point he said what's the time and we didn't you know again at the orientation you are said you are also told somebody might try to rob you at gunpoint mhm so you would think this is the picture you would have in your mind right yeah. somebody would just come with a gun but with this guy we didn't see a gun mhm so he had a hoodie on he had his pockets in his hands in his pocket the hoodie pocket he walked we didn't see a gun he just casually walked to us stood and asked for time and the next second everything happened so quickly yeah. next second he was grabbing my friend's purse and then there was all this rumble and uh he came to mine i just gave it to him and there was like all these it happened so quickly lahari and the next thing you know there is like some hey let go or something and then he pulls out a gun and shoots me i was shot six at a 6 inch range with a 22 caliber shotgun to my right arm mm-hmm. so the impact it's just at that point you kind of go numb yeah and i am i had been so sensitive <laughs> i pass out very easily even to take a shot or to get my blood drawn i need somebody to be with me and i need to lie down mm-hmm. so that's how i mean i i think it's mostly psychological but that that moment when i was shot with a damn gun i was fully conscious it was it burns first it burns like hell you see i i didn't even uh wrap my head around that i was the one who was shot mm-hmm. because i was in shock and then yeah. yeah 3 minutes like drone called the 911 um other people came because they heard the gunshot everybody was a lot of people were there in 3 minutes there were eight paramedics fire trucks a helicopter news channels everybody was there so my understanding so far is like america values life for sure but they don't do anything to prevent this yeah yeah thank you for sharing first of all and i'm so sorry i can't imagine especially like even though you said this happened in 2010 i can't imagine that you don't think about it every year uh we are approaching april as well so i can only imagine how you feel every year when you think of it um and truly like your point about it can happen anywhere i think is something that's some like resounding to me right like we we really don't think often that we're the faces of this type of violence um we become used to seeing it on tv as something objective so mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing that 
when it comes to especially like talking about this with your community or friends, how do people respond to your experience? Uh, yeah, it's it's bittersweet. It's just like confusing for so many people because um, now I feel sometimes I feel very funny because the pe- the way people react is like they are so doubtful. I mean, I have I've not shared the story with a lot of people. I share it only when I can um when I'm comfortable and I feel yes. like it's going to make some difference. Yes. Um so I was at like this was 2 3 years uh, after I was shot. Uh, and I, by that time, uh, I had my daughter and I was part of a mom's club mm-hmm. and I shared uh, my story very briefly. I didn't go much into detail. I said I was, I am a survivor of gun violence and a lady was curious. I dug deeper and this was a conversation. This was a meetup to discuss guns mm-hmm. in, in our lives. Um, and there was um, somebody started this like oh before setting up a play date with anybody I want to make sure they don't have a gun in their house Mm. a a parent started this so I went in and we were discussing how we can um, you know discuss these issues and come around to being like feeling safe uh, and I said, I just said that. And the lady was like, oh, really? I mean, yes, she was in shock. But the way she came across to me was like, it happened to you? Or it came across like mm. as if I was making it up to yeah. gain some, you know, traction. I, I don't, I didn't understand. It was very confusing for me. And then I shut off. Like, you know, yeah. then I was like, what's the point? People are going to judge me. They don't even want to believe, you know, so many. I mean, especially let's be honest. It's like you rarely hear a a brown Indian person Mm -hmm. getting shot. Right. So uh, it's especially 13 years ago. I was... (laughs) I felt like, you know, what's happening? As Indians, I think, especially to your point, 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, we were still sort of in the outskirts of the American experience, where I think that's where people don't understand the complexity of like that model minority myth is like, you exist as sort of like, uh, in the peripheral, like a, as a side, almost tangent to the American experience, where you serve a purpose, you're working maybe there, you're studying but people don't seem to understand that the American experience can apply to you. Like you can be going through the same things. You could be engaging in the same thing, but it's almost confusing to people when they're like, you want the same things, you go through the same things. Um, And so I know like now we're sort of interrupting that a little bit, but it doesn't feel like, you know, even 20 years ago, when I think about when my parents immigrated or something like it, it just was not there. So they also started to internalize that narrative. Right. And especially when you're going through so much of a, there's a sort of like trauma gaslighting that happens when people 
almost like, is this traumatic enough? Is this like actually like, you know, something you went through? Like, it's the danger of people also saying things like, uh, you know, in practical day to day, they'll be like, at least, you know, I'm not, you know, abused or raped. Like, why does or why is that person complaining? It's not like they've been, you know, going through some intense hardship at home. It's such a messed up way to communicate honestly and evaluate people's experiences. So especially when you've also been through a trauma, like trauma, and you're like, well, who are you to tell me what's important or not? And it reduces your ability to deal with it, I imagine, because you then don't feel comfortable in the spaces you're in. 100%, 100%. No, it's also like, also the, the Indian vibes we give out culturally. <laughs> it's like, really, literally, I feel like uh, as an Indian person who is not religious, uh, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Um, and um, I celebrate all kinds of festivals in my house. Um, uh, it's just that, oh, I am God-fearing, uh, pious I pray every day. Nothing's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. I am protected. I am immortal. Mm -hmm. That kind of like, you know, energy, which we give, out, I mean, most Indian people have given out are still giving out. So even like so many people, so many of my friends um, thought they can't talk to me about um, <laughs> marijuana or, you know, uh drugs or uh stuff because it was like oh it is going to be uh taboo <laughs> too much <know>? for you <laughs> too much for you going back to that piece of like why do people dismiss right mm -hmm. um i'm actually curious too how did uh south asians respond to your story well my okay this happened on the 10th of april and uh my brother was um very quick he booked a ticket for my mom um to come be with me and she landed here on the 15th of april so um you know it's like she took it at the moment like you know uh so this has happened this is what we need to do um i need to go be, be with meaty and help her out and that's all right and um she had just mentioned it to my aunt and my cousin reacted Oh my God, what was she doing? How did she get shot? Mm. You know, it's like such a tone like You deaf... must have brought this on yourself. Yeah. I yeah. must have like, uh, you know, initiated it or gotten into some kind of messed up situation. Yeah. So then my mom stopped talking about it to anybody because she was mm. like, I can't deal with this yeah nonsense you know it's just like literally mm, belittling you for your suffering absolutely it's like why why did I even waste my time telling you and who the hell are you to judge what do you even know exactly and you're sitting 8,000 plus miles away yeah in your cooped up shell without any exposure without like you're fed with filthy media you know uh, what what reality check do you have to be talking like that and yeah she they, we didn't we stopped talking to anybody and even now lahari they won't understand it mm -hmm. they won't kind of like even try to dig deeper or even Ask try to make it? sense of it yeah yeah 
do they ask me about it um they are very dismissive like you know wow. oh that happened just move on you know oh that's so like triggering for me because i i i can't imagine how you also deal with that first of all this isn't about me but i i i guess what i'm saying is there's so many south asian women especially in our community who have been told to just get over it and move on and if they talk about it even twice or God forbid, thrice, people sort of look at them like, okay, we're over it. And it's sort of this inconvenience of having a blip in your life. And to your point, I actually, you made me think this um, about that kind of concept of the pious, like there's a narrative we've written for ourselves. If we do everything correctly, then things will go well. I think it's also why we're so superstitious. And we think if I do this puja, then this will happen, like that can never happen. And I honestly think when people respond this way, it's nothing but a function of their discomfort with the fact that life might be different things might happen differently and they almost say stupid shit like that I'll just be blunt because if they had to believe you they have to dismantle everything they know about what is normalcy right so it's truly a reflection on their inability and security to deal with their own like concept of life but it it really pains me because I I have family members who've been uh, victims of or survivors I, I should say of domestic abuse sexual assault violence within families and uh, the first thing they get is get over it like we don't talk about that you know it was just a mistake you know like let's just hush it up and how painful that is how damaging that is to a person no one will understand no um, like a very simple example I am a survivor of gun violence. Uh, as of 2010 and I got I started getting involved with all kinds of causes I signed up to be part of every town Brady's uh, reforms mm -hmm. all kinds of things right I kind of um, became uh, very uh, you know uh, interested in learning more and like participating as much as I could um, and I had a child and when Sandy, Sandy Hook happened in 2012, it was just, it took me so many months. And drawn my husband, he's also considered as a survivor because mm. he saw me getting mm. shot. He saw? Yes. He was mm. right there. He was fetching my sweater. And before he even got to me, I was shot. Mm. So these things, uh, you know, it's a human experience. So we yeah. should stop tagging, oh, it can't happen to Indians or Mexicans or Americans. No, the, my brother always says human race is the worst race, right? Yeah. It's just we are complicated. We we do all kinds of crap, you know? Yeah, and all in a response to our own fears and insecurities. You know? mm -hmm. So how, I mean, especially you touched on this, as a mother, how do you process what you experienced? You became a mother after the incident? Yeah. And so how did that incorporate some of your own fears, hopes, decisions that you spend your time in? See, this like getting shot was kind of an episode, which was unplanned, right? Mm -hmm. But before getting shot, we were planning for a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, we had been married uh, for since 2006. So it's kind of like, oh, your biological clock is ticking. And 
uh, whatever the reasons were. Uh, but I also wanted to, I was ready to be a mom. Yeah. And um, this just happened. And I had to stall the whole thing for, so I went through physical therapy, mental tele- therapy for uh, physical therapy for one whole year. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Um, I did therapy for three months every day. Yeah. Six days a week to get me because so that night we learned so much about guns, Lahari. And I I had no clue. Mm-hmm. So I was shot with a twenty two caliber, which is a small bullet. And because the size of the ca- uh, bullet, it travels. So I was shot in my right arm near my bicep. And it the bullet traveled, shattered my humerus bone, got up and oh lodged gosh. between my rotator cuff and my collarbone. So now it's sitting two inches down. It's still in there? Yes. How how does that work? So yeah, again. I know that sounds so stupid. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. But uh, since we are talking, I will explain it. So I was told that because it's a small caliber, they don't pull it out. If it doesn't come out through and through, it stays. And there is a scar tissue which forms in time and it's left there. Mm-hmm. That's why every year um, I go for a, for an annual x-ray and an MRI to, just to make sure. And when I do my blood work every year, I have an extra um, request from my two doctors for a blood test. Mm. So they want to make sure I don't have, it's not leaking or anything. So it was in a capsule. It's still there. I feel like a war veteran right now. Mm-hmm. So I it's still there. So every year they check to make sure. So in 2014, when after I had my son, when I went in for my x-ray, in December of 2014, uh, they saw that it had uh, opened up. Oh it gosh. had split. So they were very concerned. Even now, um, I have pains. And I'm right-handed. So everything's like right-handed. And I do a lot of physical work. Um, being a designer and being a chef, uh, I'm constantly using my right arm. So I can't strain it too much. I cannot lift heavy stuff at all. Mm-hmm. So it's just like um, I have to constantly exercise it to keep it strong. Yeah. So, yeah, and especially when I go to cold uh, places, it just like hurts a lot. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realize like how much of the daily you're still able to experience of it, right? Because we were talking about just in your memory, but also physically there's a reminder. And thank you yeah. for teaching me too about that. I'm I'm sorry if it was a stupid question. No, no, it is not stupid at all. Because, you know, uh, in the movies and in like whatever we have seen, uh, I also thought it can't be inside. 
if it is inside yeah. they have to pull it out so my i i my doctor my orthopedic surgeon my shoulder surgeon is one of the top surgeons in la and he was um, part of the trauma center where i was taken to uh, uh usc uh, county uh, during the la riots so mm-hmm. he's seen a lot of gunshot wounds mm-hmm. and this is what he said we, we can't go in there and get it out because it's going to cause a lot of nerve damage mm. and it is going to take hell a lot of time for your recovery and then you'll have more problems than you have you already have oh wow so that can be done that is an option if yeah. i i have another uh brutal accident or something then you know maybe it there's the time to get it out or something but this is uh, what i have to live with all my life mm-hmm. and um, i was told that you know war veterans and uh, um, my neighbor even joked uh, two days after like we'll call you one cent 50 cents has five bullets you have one bullet so you feel like I think that qualifies as 10 cents at least. 10 cents. <laughs> yeah, my my boss came to see me. Um I was working at that time um and this happened on Saturday and they were all at my apartment on Sunday. The whole office came to see me and my boss uh she said you have your kid and you give them you can you tell them you school them you cannot mess with mommy because mommy is a badass <laughs> she said Truly that to me and I'm, yeah. <laughs> i'm like i'm going to use it but i haven't absolutely I, i mean honestly me be just listening to you like how many things you've survived and you are you're truly an, an inspiration in how you will spend your time taking that experience and how you're spending your life with purpose and intention behind it so i i really admire you and i would agree with your coworkers assessment um can you tell us a little bit more about the volunteering you do and what does activism for gun violence look like because my fear with south asians especially is that we have a bit of a stigma about what that even includes um i don't know if people think it's not safe or you have to go and deal with the guns themselves like tell us a little bit about all, also the tasks that you do and what is needed Yeah um I can send you some links which you can post um yes. to join um and this is practically what I do I keep a track of what's happening around we celebrated a survivors week uh, in february uh for gun violence survivors uh there is a support group for us uh through a moms demand action mm-hmm. and through every town and I attend marches I attend vigils sign tons of tons of petition I don't know uh, I I know it sounds like cliche and it's like oh god how many petitions can we sign but we have done progress you can actually keep track of what's going on recently mm-hmm. I mean it's been an executive order that uh, president joe biden yeah. ha- signed but it's now to up to the congress uh-huh. to pass it it's always a struggle right uh, you click on one of these websites you go to one of these websites the first thing they do is 
hold your politicians accountable question them you know i yeah. have written so many letters i have made calls um just sharing new policy changes you know um and like just support your local leaders um like i was so impressed with uh, janani mm-hmm. and her take uh, her stand on uh, gun violence and um yeah it's just it takes one step at a time right yeah we we all live and we all learn it's just a very um it's a process but we need to take that step to begin with so i really appreciate you breaking down some of those things because it doesn't sound that different from a lot of the other causes that we're passionate about you described pretty i'm not saying basic as in like they're like not great activities but like things that we typically do for causes that we care about you do you do marches you congregate you have petitions you maybe organize an event yeah. and to your point i didn't know about the biden signing that until you sent it to me actually and that's when i reshared it but if you can even make some marginal small momentum like that like that could be one more shooting prevented that could be one more situation like that we don't see um i just want to reiterate something um i went through like recently uh, last month mm-hmm. i was um i was sitting in a um, pta meeting at the kids school and there was a conversation about alice protocol if for people who don't know i'm just going to uh, briefly explain mm-hmm. uh, alice protocol is an acronym for active shooter response this is a federally endorsed safety protocol so it is rather sad <laughs> that it exists it's very traumatic that our kids have to go through this yeah protocols and in schools it's like feels like a war zone mm-hmm. and i read about it uh, after the uvalde shooting mm-hmm. in texas yeah and i this has been in place for a very long time and i was like shaken i was very very um uh, disturbed by the whole process a stands for alert l stands for lockdown i stands for inform c for counter e for evacuate so um, they say you know re-traumatizing mm-hmm. this happens to me constantly yeah. i go through this um it sometimes feel like oh i made a mistake bringing these two lives to this planet yeah especially when you're having to experience that through your children again right like i'm sure you have a whole different protectiveness and care obviously that they don't experience this at all yeah no that's why i tell people um especially my my daisy friends my indian uh, southeast asian friends they don't understand why i spend so much time free time volunteering if giving away my services uh you know volunteering and my time uh they really don't understand it for me my whole purpose is to be close to my kids mm-hmm. to help out and that's kind of a, a coping mechanism for me and also kind of like a therapy for me you know mm-hmm. it kind of gives me solace that some kind of comfort level that i'm there i'm there a lot of times yes. at school so it's just like it's not a direct you know 
way i'm not a teacher there i'm not a staff there but <laughs> my principal uh, was like you rather live here <laughs> yeah they all see me so much <laughs> I mean, also, congrats, you were recognized recently by your school for the work that you do. Thank you. And I think that's, inc- it's, you know, natural, right? Like, you, when you think about circle of control, like, you feel like then your circle of control widens when you're able to be closer to your kids. And it's an unfortunate re- reality we have to live with with schools. Um, and to your point, like, I, I was even watching this video that showed that now classrooms are having this device built to block um, the shooter. That type of measurement, you're like, you'd rather invest in taking, uh, making students, children learn about these things by teaching them how to change their infrastructure. You'd invest in the money that it takes to build that rather than preventative items. So to your point, this country, I completely agree. When it comes to preventing something, we'd rather deal with the aftermath. Yeah. Same with Roe v. Wade, right? Same with sexual assault uh, victims, right? It's like, oh, you provide all the support you need after the thing is done. Yes. Versus after tackling the problem. Oh, yeah. Why not, you know, catch it before it happens? Mm-hmm. Prevent it. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. It's a very... Uh, Messed up. It's, it's a strange way of thinking. And it's obviously serving a small group of people to be able to benefit from that system. And they're the ones, unfortunately, driving these decisions. So to your point, I think it's so important for us to activate, get out there, strengthen numbers. I know it sounds tacky, but I mean, until you see people, to your point, like Janani existing, right? Like her doing all that work was in itself, like for me, a good step of, okay, people like me who look like me, who might, we're not the same person, right? Like when we see someone who's South Asian, like a woman and but you feel like there's some kind of relation of like, okay, maybe I can also do this, right? Like, yeah. so it, it really helps to see us out there more and more, and especially represented in this activism for gun violence um, and addressing it. To quote uh, something, uh, this was, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. This was by Theodore Roosevelt. Mm, interesting. I really like that. So that impacted me. You know, I'm a big uh, nerd about like following the <laughs> quotes, you know, and yeah. reading. Uh, I read a lot of Rumi and uh, Borden and Borden is my forever hero. So, oh, yeah, that's my <laughs> husband's hero, too. <laughs> What's your advice for someone who would like to get involved? Please uh, learn more, get curious, you know, understand uh, gun culture, uh, the trauma this country is facing. So it's very interesting, right? Uh, We are talking about gun reform and uh, the gun violence, which is so prevalent in this country. It's the most advanced nation in the world. Other advanced nations don't have these problems. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Italy has a big gun culture? Mm-hmm. They have zero school shootings. They have 80 million plus gun owners. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I learned it very recently. This showed up on Brady. And see, we, we are, again, we... Uh, start fighting about 
oh republicans do this and democrats do this but we have to understand brady um and his wife sarah brady who started the brady movement he was a gun violence uh, uh, survivor he was a, a republican even gabby giffords who was shot multiple times she was a republican till 2000 mm. so it doesn't matter what party it's just for the sake of humanity and staying safe i completely agree it's unfortunate now we've equated those causes with Republican Democrat, but it actually, I mean, that's not what the country was intended to be. Right. I don't think I care if you're a Republican, but if you're going to start to vote for people who hate humanity, or you're going to make decisions like that around, you know, again, human existence and harm, and then you care, right? Suddenly. So I can't agree with you more. Why do you think yeah. South Asians could, should give a shit about this? <laughs> Well, the the awareness is very little, Lahari. Mm -hmm. The awareness is like, it sounds like a distant issue. You're not affected. Why do I bother? You know, I know, um, maybe not in Texas, but a lot of us in California, in uh, Oregon, in uh, um, Washington State, we are a lot of progressive uh, South Asian communities. Uh, but even there, the awareness is just absolutely not there. I completely agree. And somehow I think we feel comforted by the fact that, oh, I chose a liberal place to live. I'll be fine, right? Like, yeah, that's a conversation my husband and I have a lot because we, we do have a lot of immigrant thinking because he's a Russian immigrant. Yeah. And so he will say that sometimes too, like, but we live in California, right? And I have to remind him, like, that all of this happens everywhere. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. America no. has this problem. It maybe you feel a sense of comfort because people may sound a certain way when you talk to them, but it doesn't mean they don't own a gun or they don't feel certain types of ways about certain things, right? And also the most liberal person who has, you know, science is real, Black Lives Matter on their front porch. Yeah. Those signs that you see all the time, like everything is real. Put them in a pressure cooker situation and then see how they react, right? Like, I'm also skeptical sometimes when I see that type of like, we're here for it, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it just boggles your mind to know that they are so tone deaf. Um, also, I still feel like a true Bangalorean. You know, did you know... Um, Gauri Lankesh, she was a journalist, a brilliant uh, writer, was killed in front of her house, shot seven times in Bangalore in 2016 or 17, I can't remember. But yeah, oh that gosh. again was just got my nerves. You know, it just like Why shattered me so much. Uh, because she questioned the system, she said um, that, you know, you can't put us into a Hindu box or a caste-based box. Yeah. We are what we are. Yeah, there's, um, there's so much to be said about that whole movement happening in India. It's just illogical and it's just... Yeah. ruthless it's just um 
degrading it's just very even my grandmother was much more progressive right than these people right now i cannot i cannot fathom yeah uh, no, it just imagine. pains me and lastly i'd like to ask you you know especially hearing all of this and i appreciate how you also balance this perspective on things happening in india like you know of course only if we are fully educated, I think, you know, also it makes a difference to be able to speak about them because I think people in India, when I speak to them, like my parents still live there, sometimes they also are like, well, the way you guys interpret things is different in the West and the way the news talks to you guys is a little different. So it's not that they're brainwashed, but they're like, just like, we don't know some of the nuances you're dealing with, like, make sure you have an educated opinion and not just like, I read this on CNN. And so therefore that's my opinion. But I think there is something to be said about the fact that we do feel the interaction of what's going on in South Asia and like our home countries. And then also, even though home to us is US and we might have been born here or moved here at an early age, there's, there is a connection still that exists. And we make sense of the world because of what's happening in South Asia and here. Um, and it influences our ability to then move to your point about gun violence. Like you should care. This is something that affects women of our community, especially like even just saying women, right? Like yeah. in our community in South Asia and here, and even thinking about most recently in 2022, being so shook by Sonia Khan's tragedy and yes. it's all gun violence again, right? Like if that guy didn't have that ability, like he might not have felt as empowered. And so I'm curious, like how you think, you know, like the last words of wisdom for people who how do you hope that people use their voice after hearing your story, after hearing things like Sonia Khan for people in California, you know, I'm just using California as an example where they'll be like, well, we're pretty like fine from all this. And then Monterey Park happened. Right. And we had two incidents happen actually in the span of like, yeah. uh, the in month. the farmland. Yeah. Yeah. In a, why am I blanking? Half Moon Bay. Curious what you would advise people on how they would use their voice. Like get educated learn as much as you can um just look up causes you can support everything is online i will provide links to lahari she can post um and we'll have to have these conversations often mm -hmm. you know just to keep track of ourselves and what's going on around us um it's just important and for me more than anything for my kids for my family um i just participate as much as i can now um, we had a vigil for the uvaldi um uh, shooting uh, victims here at our glendale city hall and don't be uh, don't shelter yourself yes. don't stay in a shell and think that oh you're so safe uh, because you live in a liberal, uh, you know, bubble. Mm -hmm. It's really not, you know. Um, so when you, you, like, you have to listen to stories. You have to sign up. There are even podcasts. I was listening, uh, you know, Parkman shooting happened. And those mm -hmm. kids got so in active and so involved. I remember, Lahari, I I. I'm so like, um, I keep track of so many things. When we we were living in Los Feliz for almost 10 years, uh, which is like really in LA, right? And we moved like literally two miles away, which is Glendale, 
we are in the south side of glendale and uh, people thought like i would have we would have culture shock yeah. you know the way they they um, treat areas and oh my god oh you're in glendale that must be something no it's just next door <laughs> it's not like orange county yeah uh, which is 45 50 miles away it's just right here right they are not like some alien uh, you know <laughs> suburb or something it's just it, it's just you know we just have to keep uh, reminding ourselves very uh, it's very imperative so it's like do this do this you know mm, learn more uh, talk to your neighbors talk to your friends your i participated in the school board and mm-hmm. became shared my story with the school board member uh, who took the stance to uh, organize a vigil for the uvaldi and our the mayor of uh, glendale showed up and he uh, assured us it, it's just like glendale is considered a safe city safe suburb more than la so when we moved here my husband was like so uh, uh he was on a mission he started keeping track of crime reports and all that it was kind of like a you know episode episode of bosh or something mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he was kind of losing his mind i i said you know the more you do this it's not going to go away you just have to like be aware and just you know after going through trauma also we have so many withdrawal symptoms and mm-hmm. uh, post traumatic stress and we also kind of become desensitized to violence mm-hmm. uh, sometimes uh, but for me everything kind of triggers if i listen to too many uh, sirens ambulances i kind of get terrified you know yeah. um, it's just hard i i don't go out by myself at night anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um for the past 13 years uh, i'll always have company i just don't drive too late uh, you know yeah. by myself yeah these, these are things... the realities right like we don't understand often because we protect ourselves in our bubble like and another thing is when you know when i say uh, i can't come because uh, i have ptsd and they say oh that's my excuse yeah. to not go uh but it's just um yeah it's always kind of in the back you know hovering over you and hearing your story right i i wonder sometimes also when these things happen to younger children also like how does that shape their existence right like i was reading um the msu shooting that happened uh there's apparently a couple of the people maybe one of the girls had experienced a shooting in her school prior so they started a uh two club survival shooting um was it two shooting survivor club sorry mm-hmm. where they processed together can you imagine that that has become so normal right for them yeah. um and so uh, to your point i think i i really understand like i what resonated a lot for me was the fact that we protect ourselves a lot against this content and we actually don't really think about it. I wonder sometimes will more of our South Asian American friends and family care more as their children go to school and start to see kind of those worries and like conversations that come up. 
but somehow I think like we do to your point, like we'll hear about it. We'll post about it. We'll be sad about it. Hopefully we're voting for, you know, the right things too, Mm -hmm. but we don't often go and like sit in the vigil or, you know, talk. And I, I myself will say like, you know, I'm, I have not attended any of these either. So you're really compelling me to think about like, why not? It's an inconvenient truth, but it's the truth, right? Like the quote or Al Gore. Um, And so thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, that the first uh, organization which started for gun reform and to talk about gun violence and survivors um, was the Brady United. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was affected. He was a politician under Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan. Uh, he was in his cabinet and uh, he was shot. Uh, and him and his wife uh, Sarah Brady they started this. And then uh, the other uh, organizations followed. The recent ones are Every Town and Gifford's uh, organization. And there is Sandy Hook Promise, which started after by the parents of all the kindergartners and first graders who were shot and killed. So, yeah, these are some of the main uh, platforms I use and I keep track of what's going on. And the first reaction you get is like, oh, you have so much problem with America and gun culture. Why don't you leave? Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. If you have a problem, it's why like, don't you leave? Yeah. What do you say to people like that? Mm-hmm. I have already, I mean, it's kind of like a, a thing in your head, like which comes back. Uh, saying, oh, maybe you should think of moving somewhere else, which is safer. A tree can fall on you, you might die. But, you know, it's not preventable. But gun violence is preventable. Yeah, that's that's really true. I, I so think moving our... somewhere else doesn't, like, take away my survival rate or, you know. Absolutely. Do I make sense? I don't know. (laughs) You make so much sense. Of course. I'm even thinking like that's, that's unfortunately something that I think has been illy internalized with uh, immigrants, especially like our South Asian immigrants. They always have this sort of like, but if I don't like it, it's not really mine, this country. Like I can also like, Mm -hmm. I've heard that for many reasons, like anything, even I've had relatives say this to me I've had my dad say this to me sometimes where he's like oh like you know you don't have to always be there like um the way he's internalized his for example some of the let me start over the way that some of my the things that my dad has processed he dealt with a lot of racism when he first moved and he would say you know I'd ask him like doesn't it bother you like how they treated you and he'd say like no but in the end of the day I'm the Mm -hmm. one in their country I could I could just leave and that's an interesting mentality, right? Because he's absorbed it in a way to sort of protect himself. But it's also not yeah. the way we hope to establish ourselves in this country, especially when it becomes home. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Like even Ron has the, those reactions, you know. Uh, look where we are. Yeah. We are in their land. So, but, you know, when I have these, um, listen to these uh, really um ludicrous arguments about like go back to your go back to where you came yeah yeah for sure and where are you actually from like doesn't matter dude like what the heck yeah absolutely just like here now here paying taxes right i'm here now i'm a citizen 
I have validity to voice my opinions, you know, and because I am supporting you, the community, you know, I have businesses, I work, I pay taxes, you know, I'm an active member of the society. It's just like, doesn't matter, right? All right. So we're switching vibes here a little bit, but I know you're a full whole person outside of this incident too. These things do not define who we are. They inform us. So I would love to get to know you a little bit in the chup chup round sense. And this is something you know very well. We asked yes. rapid fire and see what you can think of. Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> if you could design a dress for someone to wear to the Oscars, who would you love to work with? Oh my God, there are, there's a long list. I mean, I would like to design something for Padma Lakshmi mm-hmm. and my three Ramachandran from Never Have I Ever. She, I, I really like her as a person, as her character, uh, as an actor. She's awesome. And uh, Salma Hayek, Riz oh, Ahmed. Yes. <laughs> totally. I love I, I love Riz Ahmed. Uh, he's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, personal crush would be Lewis Hamilton. I don't know if he'll go- he's ever going to be on the Oscar <laughs> stage, but he's my. <laughs> What's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Well, it has to be Indian food. And <laughs> yeah, it has to be Indian food. My uh, sweet dish would be um, Obatu Puranpoli. Mm-hmm. And I think in Telugu, they call it Bobatlu. Uh, and Is guess what? Price? It's Yugadi today. So, yeah, uh, no, I know. <laughs> it's Happy Yugadi. Yeah, Happy uh, Yugadi. So it was Navroz yesterday. So Happy Navroz mm-hmm. and Happy Yugadi. So we have the similar like New Year's. Yugadi uh, is also New Year celebration. So this is a um, pan, like it's a stuffed uh, lentil jaggery, um, like the dried oh, molasses yeah. filled uh flatbread yeah and dosa would be for my savory any any time of the day dosa me too (laughs) (laughs) would you rather spend a day in mexico on a beach or in your favorite museum in europe Mm. maybe i would pick uh europe museums Uh, i i haven't had a chance to go in to many, um, the main ones at least. Like, and uh, uh, we also, because of the close proximity, we drive to Mexico. So that's, that's a very so easy fun. access. <laughs> so I would okay. pick Europe. I should have thought about that when I wrote this question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the coolest and weirdest first impression you had of the U.S. when you moved here? Oh, <laughs> Uh oh, you know, um, the coolest would be like the high rise and the freeways, right? Mm. In India, you would never see a like a six lane freeway. That's so true. That was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and then the weirdest was like seeing crash <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> on the side of the street and seeing so many unhoused like homeless people when I came here. Because that's not how America is portrayed on TV, you know? No. It's so interesting, right? Anytime there's a scene, my biggest gripe is like whenever Hollywood shows a scene in India, they always make sure to highlight the poverty. Poverty. 
the slums, the cow crossing the street. Of course, you need one cow scene. And so every time they're showing, like, look at this place full of chaos and trash. And then they won't show what's in their own country. Like, you go to NOLA, like New Orleans, that place is a shithole on the streets. I mean, how is this any different? My last question for you. If you could get another degree in anything just for fun, what would it be? Um, I, It would be... Computer science. <laughs> just for the... All pun intended, right? <laughs> just to make everybody like, oh, just to uh, um, show that what an overachieving Indian. Exactly. <laughs> and you can uh, tell that guy you rejected, like, <laughs> I'm back. You were right. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Maybe I would like to study psychology. <laughs>